If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. Jai and Asia were India's golden couple in the mid-20th century, rubbing shoulders with American film stars and British royalty. But while they were enjoying polo and parties, they were also trying to adapt to a rapidly changing post-independence India and carve out a new role for themselves, which led to Asia's dazzling entry into politics and eventual spell in jail when she fell foul of Prime Minister Indira Gandhi. Our section editor, Rhiannon Davies, spoke to John Zabriskie, author of a new book on the family, The House of Jaipur, about their fascinating history. So your new book, The House of Jaipur, follows the fortunes of India's most glamorous royal family. Can you briefly sketch out their family tree for us? Yeah, sure. Look, it's um, this book really is about two royal houses. The, the book is titled House of Jaipur, but it's actually about... Uh, Jaipur, the princely state, and Kuch Bihar, which was a, a much smaller uh, princely state in the east of India, sort of wedged between what is now Bangladesh and, and Bhutan. Um, perhaps it'd be good just to give you a little bit of background about the princely states in India in general. Um, there were about 560, 565 of them uh, in uh, pre-independence India, ranging in size from uh, maybe less than an acre with a population of just a couple of hundred to much larger states uh, such as Hyderabad, uh, Kashmir, Baroda, and so on. And, and th- these were states, Hyderabad, almost the size of France, had a population around 16 million at the time of independence. Now, in this huge hierarchy of of states, um, the the British came up with their typical um, uh, obsession with with, uh, categorisation, this system of gun salutes. So uh, about 120 of these states, the largest ones and the most important ones, were given gun salutes, and these ranged from nine guns to up to 21 guns, and there were only five 21-gun salutes, um, Hyderabad, Baroda, Gwalior, Kashmir, and Mysore. Uh, so in this, so within that range, you have Jaipur, which, had, uh, which was a 17-gun salute state, 
and Kuch Bihar, which was a 13-gun salute state. The, the two main characters in the story, the two main personalities in, in, in this book are Gayatri Devi, uh, better known as Aisha, uh, and uh, Sawai Man Singh, better known as Jai. Uh, Gayatri Devi came from uh, Kuch Bihar, which was the small state in eastern, eastern India, and Jai was the Maharaja of Jaipur. So... Um, uh, again, Jai was uh, a Rajput, and we can talk about the Rajputs uh, uh, a bit later in this uh, in, in this conversation. Uh, whereas um, uh, Aisha's uh, parents were actually came from Baroda, and she married into uh, the Kuchbihar royal family. And Baroda was uh, one of the more important states uh, in Western India, uh, in what is now Gujarat. So few hundred kilometers uh, north of Bombay or Mumbai, as it is now, and uh, and also one of the most progressive states as well in, in India. So that's that's something that we'll also uh, probably come back to later in, in the conversation. That's quite important too as to how the story unfolds. And before we come on to their relationship in more detail, I really wanted to hear a bit more about Jai's upbringing and how it is that he actually becomes the Maharaja, the ruler of Jaipur. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very interesting because he actually uh, was born uh, not in Jaipur city. He he came from a small Tikana, which I guess uh, the best way to describe that would be like an estate, um, and uh, located around eighty kilometers from from Jaipur. And this this small Tikana, which was called Isada, uh, if you go there today, it's hardly changed in you know fifty hundred years. It, it is. It, you know, you, Lincoln, you'll miss it. Um, now, he was adopted from that Tikana by the then uh, Maharaja of Jaipur, Madho Singh. Um, now, Madho Singh uh, didn't have an heir. And uh, this was actually quite common uh, among Rajputs. Uh, one often thinks of these uh, Indian princes as having these vast harems, multiple wives, concubines and so on, and producing multiple children. As was often the case, uh, there were no legitimate heirs in these uh, in these states. Uh, in other words, the, the ruler um, might have cohabited with his concubines rather than with his official wives, uh, and therefore uh, you could you, only a legitimate son of one of the official wives could take over the kingdom. Now, in Madho Singh's case, he was a good, capable ruler, but he was also quite superstitious. And he was told that if he if he had a legitimate son, uh, that he would die within six months. So he stopped basically cohabiting with his official wives and uh, uh, started to look for alternatives for somebody to uh, uh, for a suitable heir. Um, now, to cut a long story short, he was also adopted from this small Tikana of Isada. So Isada became the official, you know, the obvious choice for him in order to find an heir. And so um, he uh, invited uh, um, Jai, whose name then was Mordemukat, uh, along with his brother to the palace to kind of vet them and uh, and and uh, and, and uh, decide whether they, you know, what one of them would make a suitable ruler and and Jai was the one who made the impression on him. Um, now, this wasn't as straightforward as it sounds because normally in Jaipur, the, 
there, there were several different Takanas from which uh, rulers uh, were uh, traditionally adopted uh, or chosen from, and uh, Isardar was not one of them. So Jai's adoption was immediately um, uh, embroiled in, in controversy. Uh, the uh, the Takana, which uh, uh, thought it was its right uh, that, that uh, somebody from there should be adopted, uh, immediately uh, started petitioning, you know, the Viceroy, the Secretary of State for India, etc., that uh, this was the, the wrong choice. There was all sorts of intrigue going on behind the scenes to thwart this move. So Jai's coming, uh, Jai's adoption when he was only uh, about 10 years old uh, was, was mired in controversy. Um, within 18 months of being uh, formally adopted by Madho Singh, uh, uh, who, who was actually, actually his uncle, um, he, Madho Singh died and so Jai became... Um, not, not of course, not the uh, the ruler because he was far too young. But uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, placed on the throne on the gadi, if you like. Uh, and then a period of uh, of um, uh, you know, the, the British appointed a uh, regency council to rule the state until he came, uh, you know, and, until he was old enough to be, to rule in his own right. Mm, this is something I wanted to know a bit more about: is how the British controlled him especially in his formative years yeah yeah this is very interesting um now the british uh had uh, well they exerted um power in fact uh through uh, uh a resident uh so the british would appoint a resident in each of the major princely states and uh in, in jaipur's case this was uh you know uh, and a very important person who who had the final say in all sorts of uh things whether it was uh, adoption uh marriage um uh you know who who you know, exactly the, the circumstances are, are, um surrounding uh, Jai's eventual um, placement on the throne, his education, whether he could travel uh, abroad, uh, all sorts of things were uh, controlled by the British Raj, essentially. Um, now, they, they were also had to deal with all the, uh, you know, the intrigue that was surrounding uh, his adoption by Madho Singh, uh, you know, to the point where they feared that uh, um, if he uh, remained in Jaipur, his life might be in danger. They were also concerned about the fact that once he was adopted, uh, and you're talking, as I said, about a boy of 10, 11 years old, uh, he was immediately placed in the Zanana, in the Harim. And the British were very concerned about that as well because they thought that this was a uh, corrupting influence on, on such a young boy to be surrounded by all these women who were going to be pandering uh, and doting on him and, and so on. Uh, so that was another concern. Um, uh, as was the tradition in many of these princely states, um, and as was the wish of his uncle, uh, the former Maharaja, um, uh, they also wanted him to uh, marry at a very early age. So um, Mado Singh had already arranged that the um, sister and niece of the Maharaja of Jodhpur, 
be uh, married to Jai. And at this point, Jai was only 11 years old. That The sister, Marada Kanwa, was almost twice Jai's age. She was around 22, whereas her niece, Kishore Kumari, was only five. So the, again, the British uh, wanted to control this. Not only um, did they think that he was far too young to get married, which was, uh, you know, as we would judge it today, quite true, um, but also they wanted to even uh, control, uh, and, 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 and he did marry uh, Marada Kanwa, who became uh, first Her Highness uh, when he was about 13, um, but uh, they would they were uh, so obsessed uh, about uh, um, him not uh, uh, sleeping with um, you know his wife uh, that they controlled that they made sure that whenever they were together that there was somebody with them so they never had any privacy and uh, and so it was uh, so so there was this um, almost overbearing control uh, on the part of the British um, over Jai's life from the moment he, he set foot in, in, in Jaipur. And how did Jai feel about the British? Look, um, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, I think, you know, as, as a young boy growing up in that environment, he um, uh, really had no choice but to accept um, whatever decisions they were going to make on his part. Um, he ended up uh, doing most of his schooling at Mayo College, which, um, you know, is, is, uh, is, is, was, was set up specifically for the princes of, of, of India or many of the princes of Rajasthan. And then he uh, had a brief stint uh, at the military academy at Woolwich as well. But um, I think for most of that early period, until he became a ruler in his own right, he basically had no choice but to go along with whatever the British said. Once he became a ruler in his own right, then, you know, he had a little bit more autonomy. Um, you know, he could push against some of what the British uh, uh, had in mind as far as the administration, et cetera, of the state. So the, the relationship between... Britain and princely states like Jaipur were, they were, were determined by treaties. And under those treaties, the British actually had, uh, you know, the, the, they had no right to actually directly intervene in the running of the states. Um, they could dismiss a ruler if the ruler, you know, was, was particularly despotic or debauched or, you know, too autocratic. And that didn't happen that often, but it did happen. Um, but largely, that they but, but so they tried to sort of set examples and and uh, um, try and and uh, enlighten, if you like, um, the rulers of these states into the you know, make them make them aware of the advantages of introducing, say, more representative government or um, doing something for their state, like encouraging industry and so on. Um, and, and this is why it was also so important uh, in, in many of these states that uh, these young rulers were sent off to um, uh, colleges like Mayo or even sent abroad uh, to study in Eton or Harrow and so on to get this, uh, you know, to get a proper education and again, get them out of the zanana, out of the harem, into the real world, imbue them with uh, modern values that they could then implement when, it came, when they became rulers in their own right. So um, with Jai, uh, they, they were um, 
you know, once he became a ruler in his own right, he did have a bit more autonomy. But um, that also coincided with, I guess, uh, a, a lesser interest on his part uh, in, in actual administration of the state. He would leave it up to his diwan or prime minister to do the day-to-day running of it. And, uh, and, and as he quickly uh, uh, found out, and, and much to the, to the dismay of the British, he ended up spending a lot of time uh, in Europe and on the continent uh, pursuing his favourite pastimes, which, was, uh, which were poor polo and, uh, and, uh, and, and beautiful women. So, so that's, that's what happened from pretty much once he uh, was in his early 20s onwards. I definitely wanted to hear a bit more about this from you because he does seem to be very enamoured with with this lifestyle of fast cars and polo ponies, beautiful women. Can you tell us a bit more about his early 20s and what he got up to? Yeah, well, look, initially it was his uh, love of polo. Um, One advantage of marrying into uh, the royal family of Jodhpur was that he inherited some of the best polo players in in India. So in 1933, um, he assembled a polo team uh, comprised of himself and three players from Jodhpur. And uh, uh, basically, aside from one or two matches at the beginning, won every single match uh, of, of the polo calendar for that year and kept on doing that for the rest of the decade until war intervened in 1939. So I'm not an expert on polo, but I think it's safe to say that the Jaipur polo team was, um, still is, uh, you know, would be considered the best in the world. Um, and polo was one of Jai's enduring passions. In fact, uh, he would die on the polo field um, in 1970 while, uh, while playing a match. Um, of course, so the world of polo introduced him into the world of British aristocracy, uh, and among his uh, uh, among the, the 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 close relationships that he made as uh, through polo was uh, with uh, the Mountbatten's, for instance, um, but also with 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 the you know the the, the landed gentry, you know the the um, the film set, the you know, the party set, the you know, the you know, the, the the very top echelons of British society, you know, um, um, you know were, were the people that he mixed with. Um, and although he by then he was already uh, married to uh, you know his first two wives, uh, that didn't stop him from having numerous affairs while he was uh, in in England. Um, at around about the same time, he'd already met Aisha. Um, she had fallen in love uh, with him when she was when they after they'd first met, and she was only thirteen, and he was about nineteen. Uh, she had a child, uh, a schoolgirl crush on him that just uh, intensified over the years. Uh, he reciprocated that uh, quite readily, um, but even while that. Uh, courtship, which is uh, uh, very romantic, was going on. He was having, um, you know, high-profile affairs, uh, including with uh, Joan Ayres Monsell, who later married Patrick Lee for more, and an American film actress called Virginia Sherrill, 
who um, was the flower girl uh, in Charlie Chaplin's City Lights film. Uh, Virginia uh, came to uh, England in the uh, early 30s. She'd been married to Cary Grant. Um, it was a not particularly happy marriage. It was quite an abusive husband. Uh, tried to throttle her once, and when she left him, uh, wanted to commit suicide. Um, uh, but she was, you know, partly as a result of her uh, uh, fame as, as uh, in, in the Chaplin film was... Uh, um, uh, welcomed uh, in, in, into into British society, into these higher echelons of British society that Jai also mixed with, and they started a long, long-running affair. Uh, it went for something like uh, oh, six years um, and would have stretched probably uh, beyond that had the war not intervened. Um, it, it, what's really interesting about uh, that affair was, first, the openness of it, um, and secondly, that... Uh, Virginia developed a close relationship with Jai's second wife, uh, Kishore Kumari, whose nickname was Joe Didi. And Joe um, was, the, his first wife, Marida Kanwa, was a very traditional woman who, you know, accepted uh, the strictures of Perda without any complaint, whereas Joe Didi was someone, she was uh, a much more free-spirited woman, and and um, met uh, Virginia when she travelled to England with Jai uh, in, in about the mid-30s. And the two of them developed a very, very close relationship. And Joe saw Virginia as her passport out of Perda, actually, um, and, uh, and urged um, Virginia to marry Jai. Jai had actually proposed to Virginia, even though he was you know, actively um, pursuing uh, Aisha at the same time, actually proposed to Virginia to be his third wife, to come to India and, and, and live with him. And Joe thought this was going to be fantastic. She didn't mind the fact that he was taking yet another wife because uh, it would just make her life more interesting, uh, less tradition-bound and, uh, and just more fun. Um, Jai didn't marry Virginia. When Virginia did come to uh, Jaipur, she was horrified by what she saw, um, you, know, the, you know, the tiger hunting, the, uh, you know, going into um, uh, these palaces, into the zananas and seeing women in Perda, seeing, you know, seeing these, uh, these ananas with, with dozens and dozens of, of concubines uh, from pre previous maharajas, etc. So she uh, uh, didn't. She rebuffed Jai's uh, uh, offers of marriage, but the two continue their affair uh, uh, despite that. Um, so yeah, it, it's he, he was. I've just given you two examples of, of some of the women that that he. Um, had relationships with, but there were many, many more. Yeah, he definitely did seem quite prolific in his affairs. Um, something that I wanted to know a bit more about is when Aisha was, um, when she accepted Jai's proposal, what would life look like for her as the third wife of a Maharaja? What could she expect? Yeah, uh, well, she would expect something completely different that, uh, from the life that she'd been brought up in. Her mother, uh, Indira Devi, uh, was, as I mentioned uh, earlier on, was um, uh, came from Baroda, and Baroda was probably the most um, uh, progressive of the princely states. 
followed closely by Kuchbahar. Now, now her mother was had been betrothed to the Maharaja of Gwalior, um, one of the other major princely states, but she um, instead fell in love with a prince called uh, Prince uh, Jagadipendra, um, who was known as Jit, uh, and who was at the time when they fell in love, the third in line to the Kuchbaha throne. Um, and uh, so Aisha's mother, Indira Devi, uh, married, you know, defied her parents' wishes and eloped essentially with, with Jit. They got married in England uh, um, and, uh, and she went to Kuchbaha to live and had five children. Aisha was uh, her fourth. Um, now, Aisha was brought up... Uh, you know, in total freedom, there was no purda. You know, she used to laugh at the fact that she was brought up like a tomboy. She shot her first panther, I think, when she was about uh, 11 years old. Indira found herself uh, the regent of Kuchbaha when Jit died uh, prematurely, like all other uh, rulers of Kuchbaha of alcohol-related uh, um, illnesses. Um, it's a, you know this this book uh, um, charts two uh, tragedies really. Uh, when it comes to Kuchbaha, they drank themselves to death. When it comes to Jaipur, they um, essentially drowned themselves in, in, in litigation. But um, Indira, her mother. Uh, found herself regent of, of Kuch Bihar, um, frustrated the British no end by um, spending uh, months and months at a time on the continent, again, uh, gambling in the uh, casinos of France, um, uh, riding horses in Melton Mowbray and, uh, and having numerous affairs herself. But Aisha uh, so grew up in this very liberal um, uh, environment. She also went to school in Switzerland. She spent a lot of time in Europe. And so, she, and she knew what she was getting into. Um, uh, she, she, Jaipur was a very traditional state. And she knew that when she got there, she would have to go into Purda. Um, and uh, um, and 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 she accepted this. I don't think she really thought it through because uh, um, I think she expected Jai to, uh, you know, you know, be a little bit more uh, lenient with her, and and, uh, and 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 you know that she wouldn't be confined to the zanana, that she wouldn't be travelling around in a car with curtains uh, so that members of the public could see her, and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, it, and, and after their marriage, she found it very, very difficult. Um, the uh, Jai even forbade her to learn Hindi, uh, which was the only language that most of the women in the Zanana could speak, in case she got caught up in the various intrigues that uh, were, were part and parcel of life in, in, in the Zanana. She certainly wasn't prepared for the strictures of Purda after their marriage. Um, and, uh, and it took her a long time. And it is a testimony to her, um, you know, fiercely independent spirit that she gradually overcame, uh, you know, th this 
you know, the, you know the, the pressures that were placed upon her to conform to the traditions of uh, Rajput society. One of the first things she did was to open a school for girls. Um, these were daughters of the nobility, and she thought that only by education would she be able to set an example um, and free the other women uh, of, of, of Jaipur, and we're talking about um, really the aristocracy, again, from the uh, strictures of Perda. Uh, she uh, plunged into the war effort, because these were the war years, um, you know, raising money for... Um, for uh, British troops. Um, she accompanied Jai, uh, who was um, uh, sent to the northwest frontier um, uh, to fight um, <clears throat> to fight up there. She eventually started uh, taking up other um, uh, causes for uh, that were related to women um, aside from education, uh, teaching them skills. Um, um, she got herself involved in sport and uh, sporting uh, associations and so on. So she 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 really worked hard to um, uh, uh, create a space for herself um, and for other women in in Rajasthan. And it's probably what she's best remembered for today as well. And why do you think that they're seen as India's golden couple? Well. Jai was, you know, the star, you know, handsome, um, <clears throat> very personable, um, star polo player. Uh, Aisha was uh, considered one of the most beautiful women in the world. She was liberated. She had an incredible fashion sense, much of which she inherited from her mother. Um, they they mixed easily with. Um, you know, the smart set in America, in England, in Europe. Um, they were invited to all the parties. They were friends with, with the Windsors. They were friends with um, <clears throat> JFK and, and, and Jackie. They, they, they were, you know, their the best friends were members of, of Europe's old aristocracy. Um, and, uh, and 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 they they really you know India needed a I guess a golden couple at the time as well and they really lived up to uh, you know people's fantasies as to uh, you know what what Indian royalty could be if you like um, so you know Jai every time uh, they would spend every single uh, Indian summer in. Europe or on the continent. Uh, Jai, so he could play polo. Uh, Aisha, you know, you know, was always there w- watching him play, was also, you know, doing her own um, uh, socialising. And, and um, so, you know, almost for half the year they, they were uh, outside of Jaipur and they, so they had plenty of time to um, uh, make friends who they would then invite back to back to India, put them up in their extraordinary palaces, um, you know, take them for tiger shoots. Um, and, and here again, you know, we, we have uh, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip coming in 1961, um, you know, on an official tour of India. But uh, all the publicity you know, that they got was from their trip to uh, Jaipur where the Queen was 
um, seated on an elephant uh, um, and taken up to Amber Palace um, where they went tiger shooting, which was a little bit controversial because Prince Philip uh, shot a very large tiger and when um, a picture of, of, of the hunting party and this poor tiger was splashed over the front pages of uh, British newspapers that caused quite a bit of controversy. But, um, yeah, so, so that, that was their lives. That was, you know, who, that, that they were the sorts of people that they mixed with. That was the sort of um, uh, publicity that followed them around. That was the aura that they created. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, and, and they far outshone any of the other Indian royals in that respect as well. Um, uh, yeah, they, they, were, they were just simply the best known uh, couple, royal couple, uh, Indian royal couple in the world. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Aisha was not in the first wave that was uh, arrested, but um, she she eventually did find herself in Tihar Jail, which is um, the main jail in in Delhi, and uh, and conditions were tough. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And thinking now about politics, so their lives are marked by extraordinary change. There's independence and partition in 1947. And I was really interested to know how their lives did change post-independence and what the role was for the princely states. Yeah, well, getting the princely states uh, to accede to the Indian Union was was a was a mammoth exercise. Uh, you had, as I said, 560-odd states, um, and they basically all had to sign instruments of accession either to join India or to join Pakistan. And uh, only three in the end didn't, um, Hyderabad, Kashmir, and a small state called Junagadh in, in Gujarat. Um, they were promised that after independence they would retain uh, after India's independence, that they would retain their autonomy in all areas except for defence, communications, and foreign affairs. And they were also uh, promised these, uh, you know, the various rights which they that they were, they were, they were able to uh, keep their titles. They could still be a Maharaja or a Raja or a Nizam or a Nawab or whatever. They could still import their royal resources. Uh, and they also were promised privy purses, so an annual uh, allowance, which uh, uh, ranged from, um, I think the, 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 the smallest amount was maybe £20 up to a couple of hundred thousand pounds for some of the larger states like Jaipur. Um, uh, but very quickly, and, and some of them, some of the biggest states like Jaipur were, um, were told that they would remain as independent units as well because they were considered viable. They were, they were big enough for that. But within a few years, um, uh, aside from the privy purses, the, 
uh, and, and keeping their titles and a couple of other perks, all that they'd been promised was gradually whittled away. Um, they were incorporated into the Indian Union. Jaipur became part of, um, you know, the greater state of Rajasthan, along with the other states that uh, that had previously made up uh, Rajputana, as it was known before uh, independence. Um, Jai had been made Raj Pramukh, which was a kind of like a uh, it, was, it was a special office, like a governor. He was made governor of, of, of Rajasthan, but that was taken away from him as well. And then gradually, you know, the you know, you had in India a, a socialist government under Jawaharlal Nehru, and uh, to have these princes um, uh, enjoying these perks, still getting their pretty purses, was uh, an anachronism, really. Uh, so the pressure was on Nehru and then his daughter Indira Gandhi to abolish these titles. Um, the uh, the other thing that really irked Nehru, who never liked the princes at all, and 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 did nothing to hide his 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 abhorrence of them and their feudal ways. Uh, the other thing that irked him was the fact that. Uh, uh, a number of these princes started to enter politics and in opposition to Congress. And whenever they ran for election, they tended to win. And this is precisely what Aisha did in 1962. So shortly after uh, Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth uh, left India, uh, she announced that she was joining uh, the Swatantra Party, which was like a free market um, Liberal Party, um, and uh, which, which became the main opposition party to Congress, um, and ran uh, in the 1962 general election for the uh, Lok Sabha for the federal seat of Jaipur. She won hands down. The margin of her electoral victory made the Guinness Book of Records. All 10 of her opponents had to forfeit their deposits. Um, and this was, uh, you know, uh, and Aisha at the time, she um, could hard, she spoke no Hindi, which was the main language in, in, in Rajasthan. Um, so, you know, whenever she was uh, addressing elec election rallies, you know, she, she would read from prepared speeches in a very sort of, being, you know, accented Hindi, uh, not, not particularly fluent. I mean, uh, you know, Bengali was, was, was her mother tongue. She could speak French better than she could speak Hindi. But yet uh, that royal aura uh, managed to, you know, was, was what got her through. And she stood for um, election three times at a federal level, a couple of times at a state level, won all the, um, all the national elections that she stood for. And... Uh, uh, you know, so uh, 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 together with uh, other princes uh, as well, um, uh, together with other members of India's royalty, for for Nehru uh, and then his uh, and then for Indira Gandhi, who were both uh, uh, you know that uh, uh, you know that that sort of post-independence euphoria had worn off. You know, India was having problems on an economic front. It had uh, fought a border war with China. There was all sorts of other uh, things happening, and, and the Congress was losing its sheen. But the princes were, in a in a in a, you know, a shining <laughs> uh, light, if you like, and, and and the voters just flocked to them in in most cases, whatever they ran. 
I also wanted to know a bit more about one aspect of Aisha's political career, which is when she's imprisoned by Indira Gandhi in 1977. Why is that? It was said that Indira couldn't stomach Aisha because she was such a beautiful woman. And it said that their animosity um, went back to when they were at school together in Shantinikaitan, which was a, um, a town in, in, in West Bengal. Uh, it was a, a university town set up by Rabindranath Tagore. Tagore. Uh, they, they weren't at school together for a very long time, and uh, but um, you know, Aisha, the tomboy, you know, w- you know, went around wearing slacks and would be, you know, always uh, having a c- cigarette, you know, behind the the toilet block, and uh, you know, uh, you know, she was she was sort of the the, the naughty one, whereas Indira was. Uh, um, you know, you know, dowdy and and uh, just just didn't couldn't enjoy that sort of freedom because she was the daughter of the prime minister of India. Um, anyway, uh, so it's said that the uh, animosity between the two women went back to to their school days, but certainly uh, increased uh, as uh, uh, you know after after Nehru died. Uh, in 1964, uh, and Indira Gandhi took over as uh, Prime Minister uh, in 1967. So from then on, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the several, a couple of instances I've referred to in the book of uh, Indira Gandhi addressing uh, election rallies in Jaipur, uh, asking voters, what have the princes really done for you? I mean, she, was, she, 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 she thought that these were still these throwbacks to feudal times. These were these autocratic uh, rulers who hadn't really changed their mindset at all. Uh, the Congress was the party that was uh, really represented them and not, not, these, um, not, not these royals. Um, when Indira Gandhi uh, declared an emer- the emergency in 1975, uh, all of her political opponents were uh, rounded up, essentially, and thrown into jail, as well as critics of the government, journalists, trade unionists, and so on. Um, Aisha was not in the first uh, wave that was uh, arrested, but um, she she eventually did find herself in Tihar Jail, which was um, uh, the main jail in 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 uh, in Delhi. And uh, and conditions were tough. Um, she had to share a room with uh, uh, another uh, uh, woman um, who uh, there was only one bed. Uh, this woman slept on the veranda while uh, Aisha enjoyed, you know, was, was given the bed. Eventually, she got her own room. But uh, conditions were tough. I mean, there was. Uh, hygiene was 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 minimal at the very best. Uh, uh, the, the the jail was was full of uh, um, women who had been thrown in there for prostitution and, and and other things. It was a pretty rough place to to be in. Even though uh, quite a number of the prisoners by then were political prisoners, but essentially they were they were the bulk of them were still you know women who'd been thrown in for some on criminal charges and many of them had been there for years and somebody left there and forgotten. Uh, so it was a tough time for, for her. Uh, and um, her family uh, started lobbying Mountbatten, started lobbying, you know, the Queen, uh, you know, to, 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 to get her released. Um, her her um, 
uh, stepson um, who was the then Maharaja of of, um, of Jaipur, Bawani Singh Bubbles, as he was known, was also placed under arrest. Um, yeah, so she endured, uh, you know, a pretty tough uh, prison regime um, and didn't uh, didn't cope well. Um, there were other royals who were also placed in jail and seemed to have done much better, but but she was she had health problems. I think it was just you know a shock to her to to be in that sort of environment, and and she did not cope well, and eventually um, was released before uh, the emergency was over, but had to promise. Indira Gandhi that she wouldn't engage in politics again. So that was a real climb down for her. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that Jai died in 1970. What impact did his death have on the family? Well, Jai was the glue that kept that family together. So what we have, well, let's, let's think of that family tree again. Uh, he had three wives, so there were three branches of the family. Uh, there was the, the main branch, and uh, after his death, his eldest son, uh, Bawani Singh, who became known as Bubbles, um, became the Maharaja. You had um, a second branch of the family, uh, Joe Diddy's uh, sons, um, Pat and Joey. Again, <laughs> lots, lots of uh, nicknames uh, here, um, but Jai Singh and, and Prithu Raj. Uh, and then you had... Um, uh, a third branch of the family, uh, Jai and Aisha had only one son, Jagat. Um, and up until Jai's death, and for a while afterwards as well, the family stuck together as a unit. When Aisha and Bubbles were imprisoned in Tihar jail, the rest of the family you know, pulled together and lobbied various people to try and get them out and so on. But within about four or five years of that, the family just started to split. And the first thing that, uh, the first rift in this extended family occurred when Bubbles, who was the Maharaja, see what, what happened was Jai, uh, when he died, of course, left this vast estate. The, the wealth, hard to quantify. Um, there were palaces, there were uh, um manor houses, there was a huge amount of gold, jewellery, ancestral jewellery. Um, uh, there, was, there, was, there were trust accounts where, where money had been placed and so on. Traditionally, the eldest son would inherit uh, his father's estate. But in modern India, um, uh, an act had been passed in the 19. 60s, uh, called the Hindu Undivided Family Act. And this meant that um, uh, uh, any inheritance would be distributed equally among all offspring. So this was a sort of egalitarian move, you know, and, and you know, a very, very fair one as well. But did it apply to the royal families? Did it apply to Jaipur? Now that was that is a you know, th that's a court case that is still ongoing, if, if you can believe it, um, you know, 30, 40 years uh, onwards. Um, uh, and then other um, uh, court cases uh, erupted. So basically, I mean, th th there, were, there were all these properties, some of which had been turned into hotels. There were shares in 
these companies that controlled the hotels. And again, uh, litigation erupted over how these shares have been divided, uh, that there were shares that were sort of mysteriously being transferred from one um, part of the family, from one branch of the family to the other. The sheer amount of litigation uh, is extraordinary. In, in the 1990s, according to one estimate, there were 40 cases current in the courts in Jaipur to do with um, uh wills to do with uh, shares, to do with properties, to do with um, uh, various other uh, trusts and so on. Um, and it was just something which just started to tear the family apart. Suddenly you had you had three branches of the family at loggerheads with one another. Sometimes there was two branches of the family at loggerheads with the third. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, one of those branches would team up with the third branch to be at loggerheads with the remaining branch of the family. And, uh, and, and this, this just consumed, um, consumed family to, even to the extent where, um, uh, you know, Jai and Aisha's only son, Jagat, uh, was, was um, you know, even to the point where his own, he at one point disowned his own children in, in, in a will that was allegedly forged, but still it was uh, considered valid enough for the courts to take, uh, to take notice of it. Um, and and, and these, these things are still ongoing. It's quite extraordinary. Other royal families in India have managed to bury the differences, come to compromises and, um, you know, and, 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 and divide assets uh, you know, accordingly, but but the Jaipur family just does not seem to be able to do this. It's just too entrenched. And for my final question, Aisha died in 2009. How is she remembered today? Look, um, she was a complex character, um, uh, you know, uh, a person who wouldn't suffer fools lightly. Uh, she was uh, entitled, opinionated, certainly, um, but you know, I think that that's that's just one side of a character. But in general, um, by the vast majority of people, she's seen as a as a role model for women in India. Um, as as I mentioned, she um, uh, devoted so much energy uh, for uh, uh, women's education. Uh, she started a couple of schools. Um, she uh, uh, started welfare projects for, for women. She plunged into politics. She, she made a successful career as a politician, which was uh, no mean feat in those days, winning, as I said, three elections. Um, you know, she, uh, and after her husband died uh, uh, in 1970s, so that, you know when she was, um, you know, quite an early age for her. She would have been just in her, in her, uh, in her 40s. Um, uh, you know, she, she, you know, d- you know, normally in in Indian society, widows go into seclusion. They wear nothing but white, and they withdraw from society. Um, her mother didn't do that. Uh, Indira Devi, as I said, she became regent of her state, um, and, and Aisha was not going to do that either. So she plunged even more energetically into her various projects, whether it was um, um, 
um, uh, fighting for the preservation of Jaipur's heritage, um, promoting arts and crafts in the city, um, all these things. I mean, she was she, she was always passionate about polo, um, uh, supported polo, supported other sporting initiatives. She kept travelling to, uh, to to Europe until you know the year before she died. She would make her annual pilgrimage to London. So she was, you know, she was a remarkable woman, and people remember her for that. Um, but you know, it's it's a funny thing, Jaipur being Jaipur. If you go to the city palace now, you won't find a single photograph of hers, you know, in in the museum collection, um, which is again a reflection of you know just how you know these decades now of litigation. I mean, it's 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 now I think it's the third generation of Jaipur royals that are fighting some of these cases. Uh, have 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 had an, a you know this this this. Very detrimental effect on 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 Jaipur's legacy. There's so much that it could be proud of, yet uh, this litigation is just uh, uh, sullying the whole thing. And and the fact that you know someone like Aisha, um, who did so much for her state and is you know you know so admired, um, you know is 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 has almost been erased. Uh, from the official history of, of Jaipur is, is, is a real tragedy. It's, 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 it's very sad, I think. I think that people in Jaipur just wish that the various branches of the family would come to some sort of compromise, end decades of, uh, of litigation and, uh, and, and be able to take pride in what um, not just uh, Aisha but other members of the family uh, what this great dynasty which is you know goes back a thousand years uh, has achieved that was john zabriski his book the house of jaipur the inside story of india's most glamorous royal family is on sale now published by c hurst and co you can find a link in the show notes thanks for listening this podcast was produced by ben Hewitt, jack bateman and Brittany collie Join us again on Friday when I'll be speaking to Lucy Bland about the babies fathered by African-American GIs in wartime Britain. 